from Russia with love. Let's talk about it on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. It's another episode of Pushback, and I'm Dr. Johnny. Say, I am a small town country doctor, and I have no aspirations of changing occupations to become some sort of geopolitical strategist. <laughs> But based on the headlines of this week and the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, I believe it's important that we talk about this. And I plan to do that on this episode um, because you are probably asking what I've been asking kind of all week. And the question is, why? Why, why, why? Uh, and, and I'm going to try to break down a little bit of those simple answers for you. But most importantly, and of course, at the heart of this podcast is to discuss what it means to us as a country, as Christians, uh, as a, a from a place of worldview, because I think it's so important to understand the implications of something even to the magnitude that we're seeing here in Eastern Europe. I uh, I had to chuckle. My wife showed me a headline uh, that ties into what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Before our, you know, at the time you know, the Russian invasion was just a threat and was not happening. Uh, but then, you know, obviously things happened. And John Kerry, who is the presidential envoy for climate, we're all familiar with uh, presidential candidate John Kerry. Uh, he was quoted at, in saying, and this was the headline, he worries that the Russia-Ukraine war will distract the world from worrying about climate change. <laughs> Talk about taking your eye off the ball. There are people dying in the streets and and a, a war declared and mayhem happening in a country that we should care about. Um, and yet, climate change? It's funny how we can become so um, duped and so um, mesmerized by what's in front of us that we lose the big picture sometimes. <laughs> And so I enjoy talking about climate change, and it's an important topic, and I'm sure I'll bring it back around again and look forward to all of your opinions thereof. Uh, but it's interesting in time of crisis um, how we can lose track of what's important. I entitled this podcast From Russia with Love. It's a title of the, actually the second James Bond film uh, starring Sean Connery. This is 1963. Um, and, you know, James Bond films are, are notorious for James Bond villains. And, it, and you can't help but look at this story of Russia and Ukraine and not picture Vladimir Putin with his fingertips, you know, in some magic, some evil lair, um, putting his fingertips together and, and chuckling. The only thing he's missing is like an eye patch or something like that. 
I am uh, quoting a couple resources from BBC News and The Hill, uh, The World According to Putin, and Why is Russia Invading Ukraine? Um, I've been researching this this week, um, trying to become as knowledgeable as I can for you, my listeners, so I can try to break this down as simply as I can uh, about what's going on. Obviously, it's complicated and it's not as simple as just a tyrannical uh, leader uh, who is land hungry. It's never that easy, Um, but there is something going on that we need to understand. And I believe I entitled this from Russia with love because I believe Russia is sending us a gift right now, a gift that we should embrace and realize uh, for our own future. And I will get to that in just a second. For months, President Vladimir Putin denied that he would invade his neighbor, but then he tore up a peace deal and unleashed what Germany calls Putin's war pouring forces into Ukraine's north, east, and south. So what is the point? What is Putin's point of Putin's war? What is he hoping to accomplish? Well, let me look at it from Putin's point of view. Um, in a pre Number one, in a pre-dawn TV address on February 24th, President Putin uh, declared Russia could not feel, quote, safe, can uh, develop and exist, end quote, because of what he claimed was a constant threat from modern Ukraine. Number two, he claimed his goal was to protect people subjected subjected to bullying and genocide and aim for the, quote, demilitarization and denazification, unquote, of Ukraine. To be clear, there has been no genocide in Ukraine. It's a vibrant democracy led by a president who is Jewish. <laughs> Some things you can't even make up. Vladimir Zelensky said, how could I be a Nazi who likened Russia's onslaught to Nazi Germany's invasion in World War II? Number three, last year, President Putin wrote a long piece describing Russians and Ukrainians as, quote, one nation, end quote. And he has described the collapse of the Soviet Union in December of 1991 as the disintegration of historical Russia. So there's definitely something deeper in the heart of this man. Number four, he has claimed modern Ukraine was entirely created by communist Russia and is now a puppet state controlled by the West. It was his pressure on Ukraine not to sign an association treaty with the EU in 2013 that sparked the protest that ousted its pro-Kremlin president. That was in 2013. In President Putin's eyes, the West promised back in 1990 that NATO would expand, quote, not an inch to the east, end quote, but did so anyway. And of note, that statement uh, was before the collapse of the Soviet Union. However, so the promise made then Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev only referred to East Germany in the context of a reunified Germany. Mr. Gorbachev said later that the topic of NATO expansion was never discussed. So Putin has seen a a dramatic change in his mother, Russia, and the extent and reach uh, that the Soviet Union had and what they would consider to be the glory days. So how does the Western world look at Putin's war? So interestingly, and quoting uh, from the articles I mentioned before, so when Western leaders and commentators perpetually wonder why Russian President Vladimir Putin behaves in such a diabolical fashion, seeming to be in the running to be the next James Bond villain. (laughs) Interesting quote. 
and not acting in the least like a Western European democratic leader. The obvious but telling answer is he is not a Western European democratic leader. Putin's formative experience was as a rising KGB officer in both East Germany and then in Russia itself. There, he helplessly watched the Soviet Union fall apart around him as Russia morphed from feared superpower into an international mendicant. I had to look that word up. Mendicant. It means to be a beggar or to be poor. Number two, the Western sees sees signs in Russia, uh, you know, quote, uh, I'm sorry, we see signs in Russia. We've seen it on the news. Putin's war, not Russia. Unfortunately, that's not a great reflection of what the populace believes in a whole. A great deal of the reason for the Russian president's enduring popularity, so baffling to so many Western analysts, is that Putin's deep desire to right Russia's geostrategic slide, to make Russia great again, is widely shared by the Russian people as a whole. Great Russian nationalism as a guiding force is the secret to Putin's enduring political success. At the end of the last year, more than 60% of Russians polled still rated the Russian president's performance as positive. 60%. A formidable level of approval that would make most Western leaders envious. Our dear President Joe Biden is about at 38%. For comparison's sake. So number three, to bring Russia back, above all, Putin must secure dominance in this country's, quote, near abroad, establishing a severe influence over its neighbors as both a sign of Russia's continued offensive power projection and a geographic form of defense. But this goes beyond NATO. In the words of Germany's chancellor, uh, Russia's leader, quote, wants to take over Europe according to his world view, end quote. Now, as the speaker of the Pushback podcast, this is what makes my ears perk up. Let's talk about worldview. Let's talk about Vladimir Putin's worldview. Let's talk about how somebody with this worldview gains power. It's a sobering tale for sure. So Putin has what's referred to as a hyper Machiavellian worldview. Had to do research here, guys. <laughs> Machiavellia is a, a, a philosopher who basic philosophy was nice guys finish last. If I had to summarize his worldview. So you don't have to share Putin's hyper-Machiavellian worldview, but one must understand it. Realist thinking dictates that in order to master an enemy, first, he must be deeply comprehended. So let's talk about Machiavellianism. Never thought that I would be doing a podcast on Machiavellianism. (laughs) Machiavellianism describes a person's tendency to disregard morality in their decision-making. Machiavellians are often referred to as, quote, puppeteers, end quote, who try to deceive others into getting what they want. They typically have a cynical worldview, viewing others as equally manipulative. It's interesting, isn't it? It's When we talk about world views, when we talk about the lenses in which we see things, the way we comprehend things. 
Here's a leader of a superpower having a Machiavellian worldview, feeling like nice guys finish last. Machiavellianism, is, is, Machiavellianism in psychology refers to a personality trait that sees a person so focused on their own interests that they will manipulate, deceive, and exploit others to achieve their goals. Quote, that the wicked tend to win, end quote. And they do so because they have a huge advantage over the good. They are willing to act with the darkest ingenuity and cunning to further their cause. They are not held back by those rigid opponents of change, which is, wait for it, drum roll, principles. <laughs> principles. This is how a leader of the free world can look at Ukraine and say we're trying to prevent Nazism from propagating in our world. <laughs> it's manipulation at its core. This is how they rationalize invading a country to defend their helpless people from an increasingly powerful Ukraine. It's manipulation at its core. This is how they can rationalize bombing and shelling innocent people in a sovereign country that is not their own and try to claim it as a moralistic move. It's manipulation at its core. And it's void of principles. Principles that we would claim we founded our country on. That's why these stories feel like they have good guys and they have bad guys. But it's also a warning to us. From Russia with love. <laughs> Here's the gift to us. The gift to us is Russia is showing us right now what it looks like when central government, and specifically a central government leader, gains too much power. Because what is lost are principles. Basic human principles. And don't we see that? Don't we sense that when we're watching the news when Russia invades Ukraine we see that basic human principles are lost. Now you can say there has been there have been wars since the beginning of time. Are all of the is any war without principle? No, I don't believe that. But I believe that the motivation, the, the the things that have driven Vladimir Putin, the things that have allowed Vladimir Putin almost to unilaterally make this move are the things that we need to be cautious about. The things where principles are removed. And maybe one of the most important thing in government structure, which is which are checks and balances. Checks and balances. We've learned this, all of us have learned this in our civics class in high school. Checks and balances, the layers of accountability that need to be imposed and put onto governments so that there is safety, so that there is no Putin's war. That's what prevents these things from happening. Looking into presidential accountability in Russia and the United States from the WilsonCenter.org, there's Martha Merritt. She's an associate professor of political science. Uh, she was writing about uh, the comparing and contrast of, of the United States Constitution and the way that we um, 
even implement declaration of war versus what is occurring in Russia today. You know, Russia does have some layers of checks and balances, believe it or not, but they are so arbitrary and so easily to be uh, circumvented that it's almost a joke. And Vladimir Putin has really become a czar. Merit um, had the position that an automatic tension exists be between, between, this is an important paragraph, so let me read it right. <laughs> she said that there is an automatic tension that exists between accountability and political power. As those in office seek to limit political accountability, while those out of power seek to enhance it. And that this tension is particularly interesting in the cases of Russia and the United States. Vladimir Putin, uh, might surprise you, has been president for now 18 years. And let me just give you an example of how political accountability has eroded in Russia. He was president from 2000 to 2008. Um, I don't know where I have been or where I was, but between 2008 and 2012, it was Medvedev. How did I miss that one? I don't even know who that is, I'm embarrassed to say. But then in 2012, he became president again, Vladimir Putin, and has been president ever since. So he's been president for 18 years, currently under their quote-unquote constitution. He can be president and serve until he's 83. That's 14 more years. He could be he could be their president for 32 years. It sounds more like a czar than a president. So listen to this. Putin report, reportedly told lawmakers in 2021 that he did not support completely eliminating term limits. But he did support amending the Constitution to reset the number of terms that he could serve. <laughs> it's almost laughable, is it not? But this is what happens when there is a world, a Machiavellian worldview where the ends justify the means, where we serve the selfish ambitions of one, any means necessary. So this is the gift to the United States from Russia with love. This is what it looks like when our government becomes bigger, stronger, more bloated, and this is what we've been seeing is the growth of the central government, even in our own country, over the last several decades. And this should cause us to pause. See, Congress has the authority to declare war in our country. The president can declare war. president cannot declare war unless we are being under attack, in which case he can authorize an emergency action. There are layers. Let me just tell you some layers um, that are... Republic has in regards to checks and balances. My children, my homeschooling children will always correct me and say that we do not live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional democratic republic. It's very different. And it's the constitution is really the powerful word in there because the constitution protects principles. Remember what is lost in a Machiavellian worldview our principles, what is protected in a constitutional democratic republic, our principles, 
We have election of senators, direct election of senators by popular vote. There's a veto power. A presidential can, president can also veto congressional decisions, while Congress can override the veto by two-thirds of vote. Separation of power between branches. Congress declares war. Judicial review. Supreme Court may interpret laws. We have layers upon layers upon layers of checks and balances our country, which is healthy. Sometimes it's very frustrating because things move slowly, and, and sometimes change is not made easily. Um, but that's important so that we don't just invade Mexico because we think that it might enhance our geopolitical situation. Do you see what I'm saying? There's, there's danger in central power. And as the government gets bigger, we run the danger ourselves of circumventing certain principles of our constitution for our own selfish ambition. Remember, I want to read this again. Those in office seek to limit political accountability while those out of power seek to enhance it. We need to be very mindful, my friends, about the where our government sits. I believe one of the most important checks and balances that we have, that we historically have in our country, is the very simple fact that we have 50 different states. We are the United States of America and we are a republic. And what has happened is, is that we've, as states, have actually given up control and right to the central government. The central government was actually created to exist to defend and support the states. And it has flipped. And I believe that's dangerous. I believe any politician who would like to decentralize the government and bring more power back to the states was, tends to be a Republican platform position, although it's been a little absent lately. Any politician that takes that platform is one that we ought to support because the stronger the states become, the more accountable our central government becomes. And this is critical. And you say things like, well, something like Vladimir Putin could never happen in our country because of these layers of separation of and, and checks and balances. This can't take place here. My friends, just think about this one simple example. There has been a discussion about court packing are you familiar with this discussion? The Democrats, once they realized that there was more of a conservative balance on the Supreme Court, said, well, why don't we just change how many people are on the Supreme Court and we can pack the court with more liberal judges? My friends, that's called circumventing the Constitution. That's called Machiavellian politics, where selfish ambition actually overrides principles. President Joe Biden did not have the guts to do it, but that does not mean that somebody else politically behind him would have the guts to do it. We have to be careful. We have to be forthright. I've been Florida. My dear friend Paul Gazelka is running for governor. And I know from a ministry political standpoint, we need to be careful not to sit here on this podcast and endorse one candidate. But I can comfortably say that I'd be comfortable with Paul Gazelka being my governor. He's my friend. But I'm floored as I do my searches and my searches online, how very little coverage there has been about the governor governor's race here in Minnesota. We were only about eight months away from this election. And yet 
There is more conversation about the 2024 presidential election than there is about a governor election here in Minnesota just about eight months away. Why is that the case? It's the case because the, the, the power has shifted from the states to the federal government. And this is concerning as a citizenry. The bigger they get, the more Machiavellian they can become. It's just a warning. It's a gift. It's from Russia with love. It's a warning about a James Bond villain. It's one that we should take very seriously. And I encourage you to lean into local and state governances so that they can become strong and more active. I think it's important that we elect officials and representatives that look to defer power out of their own hands and into the states. It's healthy. That's the way the republic was set up. And Russia is actually showing the danger when this erodes. And one power-hungry man can take a lead and actually gain momentum from his own citizenry to become emboldened and to do things that we would actually feel are unprincipled. Let it be a lesson to all. Lord God, let us let us understand who we are as children of you here on this earth, that we are accountable to one another. That's the way that you actually have created us to be. So Lord, I bless our country. I bless the wisdom of our president during this time of conflict, um, that he may rule swiftly, powerfully, effectively, and with wisdom. And Lord, any, any evil influences here on this earth, Lord God, we just cancel those assignments and we agree together as sons and daughters, as representatives of, of heaven, that there would be peace here on, earth, on, on this earth. I speak specifically to the Russian-Ukraine conflict. And Lord, I just, I just release your peace and power and resolution, Lord Jesus, to this conflict. And Lord, I pray that your principled love, your principled um, statutes that you have given to us to rule and reign on this earth, Lord, would rule the day. Thanks for listening again this week. It's been interesting every week um, what's going to happen and the things that are in this world. But my friends, we are the answer. We are connected. We are hardwired to the answer. And that's heaven itself. And so I ask you to be emboldened by that. And I ask you to join me to go right now to set and shape the culture.